0: This week's CloudCast is brought to you by Momentum SI. Whether you want to migrate applications to the cloud, transform to enable DevOps, gain insight from big data, or accelerate your agile development, Momentum SI's strategy, consulting, and hands-on expertise can help you get there faster and with greater success. Check them out at MomentumSI.com. Now, on to the show. CloudCast Media presents... From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Dell and Brian Gracie, bringing you the best of cloud computing from
1: around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of The Cloudcast. I'm Aaron, and I'm here tonight with Brian. How you doing, Brian?
0: Good, man. Back-to-back shows, both on. It's uh, going to be a record
1: I know exactly, but uh, you know we got to kind of talk a little fast tonight. Mike. you know, Clemson Tigers are playing basketball here in a couple minutes.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> this is
1: like the the one weekend I care about college basketball out of I don't know the entire year, <laughs> the ACC tournament. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So well, cool. <laughs> well, let's. Um, last last night, you know, we were talking to uh, to to Matt Ellis, and he made a comment that you know DevOps skills are if if you're not already doing them. I mean, if you're already doing them, you're sort of in as high a demand as you can be in our industry. And if you're not doing them in Two years—that's where you need to be going. And uh, why don't you why don't you jump into our guest because he is he is way way deep into into that stuff and and hopefully we'll we'll dig into it some more with him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So tonight we have Mark Embriaco. Mark, how you doing, man? Great, thanks. How are you guys? Good, 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 and and a Raleigh fellow as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. Not enough of us.
1: <laughs> so, Mark, um, yeah, when we're talking about DevOps, I mean, you're like the perfect guest to have on because. You've run ops at some really, really large companies and some really large-scale and done some really cool cutting-edge things. So, you know, tell us a little bit about about your background and and some of the things you've been involved with.
2: Sure. So um, I've been doing this kind of work for almost 20 years now. Uh, Hard to believe. uh, Starting in college, you know, I was a system administrator in the CS department. And I founded a startup in in the early, actually the mid-90s doing web stuff, which was, you know, kind of way too early. Um, and then I've you know I've I've kind of worked at a bunch of interesting companies along the way between there and here. I worked at America Online at the the height of the dot com boom uh, when we were spending a billion dollars a year on infrastructure and uh, growing like crazy, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then I you know I d- I've done a lot of software development roles, and you know since I guess the mid 2000s in 2006 I joined 37signals. Uh, for folks who don't know, where Ruby on Rails was created, and and they're now called Basecamp. Um, and I ran operations there. I was, I was hired as the first system administrator and built a small team there. Over the, the four years I was there hosting all the 37signals suite of applications, so Basecamp and Campfire and Rise. And, and it was a great time, and it's a company that, you know, obviously very forward-thinking with Ruby on Rails and, and the way they work. And I moved on from 37signals to Heroku, which was another great opportunity, uh, building what is, and I don't, I don't know if they're the largest platform as a service on the planet, but they're certainly the most advanced especially in terms of public paths so i joined 30, i joined uh, heroku with sixty thousand applications on the platform and we were growing like crazy we were growing so fast that a year and a half later when i moved on we had a million and a half applications on the platform so uh so that's, uh, that's just amazing. a little bit of growth <laughs> yeah without a doubt <laughs> and we got acquired by salesforce.com along the way and, and had a lot of fun so that was a great great opportunity uh, I, I left there to join living social uh, i was only at living social for a short while uh, it was a great company and a great group of people, but I just wasn't passionate about about the the product that Living Social had in the same way that I was about thirty seven signals and about Heroku. And really, my heart has always been in kind of empowering developers and empowering software and service providers kind of space. And and Heroku fit that, and and GitHub fits that in spades. So I've been at GitHub for about a year and a half now, again in the operations team. Um, and you know, GitHub is a, it's fantastic. I think when I joined GitHub again a year and a half ago now we had something like a million or a million and a half users. We've got over 5 million now. We've got over 11 million software repositories. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say we're changing the world for software development. Yeah.
0: Yeah, No, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I want to say that I think the bulk of our listeners know what GitHub is. And and I got to expect that, you know, a good number of them um, are either using it or sort of dabble in it. But, But for anybody who's not, really in this space maybe they're they're not software development they're they're doing other things around it give it give us the basics of github and then you know you were talking about being passionate about it what what are those things within what you do at github that that gets you really excited about going to work every day building it out making it grow
2: Yeah, so GitHub is the sort of the place for software developers to work together to build code. Um, Our mission is to make that collaboration work better and to make it easier for people to work together on software development projects than to work alone even. Uh, And we do that through through a bunch of things. So so GitHub, the first half of our name, Git, is named after the uh, distributed version control system created by Linus Torvalds. and and that's really the, kind of the core of what we started. But around that Git tool, around that version control tool, we have built a, an entire suite of collaboration tools. And we've invented along the way things like the pull request, which is just a new way for people to collaborate on projects and get their code working together in ways that just weren't possible in the past. You know, you you, you, did, you know years ago, I don't know, fifteen years ago, you'd be, hey, I'm working on this file now. Don't make any changes to it. Uh, and and now the world is different. Everybody can work together. Uh, so that's what GitHub's all about. And what what gets me excited about GitHub, Mark Andreessen has this fantastic quote that I love that software is eating the world. Um, and sort of the corollary to that is that I think every business th- that gets to any scale is a software company. Uh, they may not realize it yet, but they really are. So if you've got software eating the world, and you've got all these businesses that are really software companies, um, being right in the middle of that and enabling these software developers to create better things together... Uh, it's hard to imagine a better place to be.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's the crazy thing. You know, I, I remember, you know, even just five or six years ago, you know, you had things like dice and you had various places where people would post their resume online. You know, you'd have technical centric things. And nowadays it's just, here's my GitHub page. You can go look at my code. You can go look at the projects I've worked on. And I mean, you guys have become, like you said, you're, you're the place where, where developers not only develop and put their code, but, but collaborate. I mean, it, that's a crazy how fast that's changed in just four or five years
2: yeah you know 15 years ago it was SourceForge, um and it the the collaboration part of it never really worked in the same way it was sort of everything that preceded github was really kind of here's our code you can check it out but there was never and maybe here's a link to our mailing list over here and maybe if you're lucky there's a web page over here and maybe there's a way to browse the code over there but there was no obvious way for people to work together and collaborate on a project. It was really about distribution and not about collaboration.
0: Yep. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, and given, given how much, how distributed teams are these days, whether they're just, you know, it's overseas stuff or it's just, you know, people working from home. That, that's huge.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, that's GitHub. That's, that's the way our company works too. We've right. got almost 250 employees and about 75% of us are remote. So.
0: Wow. Wow. so, the first time, the first time we met face to face, there's a there's a local group here in Raleigh they call Triangle DevOps. Uh, I know you're involved with it. Uh, Mark Mzik, who works for uh, Chef now, was Opscode at the time, runs it. And does a you know does a really good job. A lot of like we were talking about, there's a lot going on around the Triangle, um, you know, startups and, and DevOps and very automated types of companies. And you kind of blew me away because you went from saying, look, I you know I think at the time you were running Living Social and you were like here's what we do for DevOps, and here's what we do for networking, and here's what we do for hardware, and I'm thinking about building my own paths. And it was like, holy crap, this guy jumped around and spoke intelligently and spoke in depth about sort of every single one of these areas. And we tend to run into people that are, they know one area, right? They know a, they, they know software development, they don't know anything about infrastructure, they know infrastructure, they don't know anything about software or or vice versa. Like, h- how'd you get to this point? I mean, what, what was what was sort of your path to where you know i don't want to say i'll let you if it's true you know sort of master of everything but but being able to talk at depth about that stuff and connect the dots how'd that happen for you uh,
2: it, i got old <laughs> 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 that's one way to put it yeah <laughs> i mean that's really what happened right if you you knock around in the industry for 20 years um, and i'm not old i'll be 40 this year but i've been doing this for a long time and when i got started in this industry in, in kind of the early 90s all of the people who were system administrators were also developers it was kind of the there. There wasn't, there wasn't as rigid a divide between, especially in the Unix world, between what a system administrator was and what a developer was, um, and that's sort of a, that. That's something that grew over the intervening twenty years, much to the industry's detriment. So, you know, I think that I think there are a lot of people like me out there that that have kind of a rounded set of of skills and experiences, but it's really just a matter of being from kind of a different era where there was. You know, you kind of learned everything because there wasn't that much to learn at the time. And if you incrementally just learn a little bit along the way, every time you're faced with a new problem or a new challenge or something new that interests you, you end up picking a lot, of, a lot of things up along the way. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, the key is just not to. The other thing that happens, especially in ops, you've got a lot of ops people that are um, kind of very narrowly focused on specific areas, and it's, I think it's because a lot of them have the wrong incentives. Right? It's it's sort of the the anti-DevOps, right? Where the the risks and benefits were completely skewed so that, you know, it's the classic story, right? The developers get the kudos when the site launches and everything goes well, but when it goes down, it's the ops guy's fault. Yeah. Um, we all know that's not really true, but that's sort of the the stereotype. Um, and that drives a lot of ops people to, to fear change and to not move forward in their careers and to stagnate. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of those kinds of people out there that, for better or worse, are sort of stuck in in this world where they have not embraced change in the same way. And I've been fortunate enough to work at companies that are forward thinking enough to kind of allow me to move forward when it makes sense.
1: And is that something you've you've really sought out in your career?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, I'm a, I'm the kind of person who gets gets bored if I'm stuck doing the same thing day in and day out. That's that sounds like hell to me. Um, <laughs> I would never want to do that job forever. Uh, where you know, I, I would never want to be the kind of ops guy who. You know, you wake up in the morning, you open up your ticket queue, you pick up the next thing off the queue, you do it. You pick up the next thing off the queue, and you do it. That's, that sounds terrible. Uh, I don't want to be that guy. So I, I've definitely looked for places. I've, you know, I've only re- I guess I've worked for a couple of companies that are sort of publicly traded big companies. I worked for a bank one time for about a year. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I worked for Salesforce, which is a publicly traded company, but I was really in Heroku, so I was sort of insulated from all that. So I, I've definitely sort of steered my career in the direction of more forward thinking companies, and without a doubt.
1: Yeah. Cool. So uh, from a developer's perspective, we kind of already said, you know, GitHub is one of these just most important and, and critical sites that are out there. And, and yeah, as we've seen, you know, anytime the site has the slightest hiccup, it's like all the developers in the world freak out at once. Um, <laughs> so when you're talking about the operations and, this, and DevOps mentality, what does, like behind the curtain, what does dev- the DevOps environment look like at GitHub?
2: Yeah, so the the GitHub Ops team for you know our team is what we define as the Ops team is a little fluid, um, and it's that way in a lot of parts of the company. But there's there's roughly 15 of us that sort of work together to keep the site running. Um, we generally don't specialize, so we don't have you know we don't have the network team and the storage team and the monitoring team and all those things. We have we have the Ops team. Uh, we do have a couple of people that specialize in a way. We've got a really strong email person who does most of that work because she's lived and breathed email deliverability. But, and we've got a few people like myself who have a little bit more experience on networking that focus on those kinds of things. But for the most part, we try to be very uh, multidiscipline. discipline um, GitHub ops is, we write a lot of code. Um, we we use Puppet, we embrace automation everywhere. Um, we're a little crazy to a lot of people. We, we embrace something that we call chat ops. Um, Large, large portions of our site. I, I did a talk at Velocity New York last year about this, and to too much chagrin and consternation from some folks when I told them that I can do things like change my BGP announcements on my border router from a chat room. I um, <laughs> got a little nervous when I talk right. about things like that. This guy must be insane. Um, but so we do things like that. We're very, I mean, we're very forward-thinking in that way. Um, so we, what does,
0: what, what does that mean? So you mean, so you guys have got like sort of an internal chat? system chat room system but you've got it hooked up so like a couple of you guys are working on stuff and just right from out of there you can fire off commands that will go off to an Arista box or a Cisco box or something like that
2: yeah exactly right we have a uh, we have a bot he's called Hubot that sits in our chat rooms and and does things so he can do a lot of things he can um, we can ask him to do a who is for a domain or an, uh, an AS number. We can make BGP changes. We can check on file system utilization on a server. We can rebalance GitHub repositories from one file server to another. We can do all kinds of things. There's literally hundreds of commands. Uh, and we find that doing them in chat is incredibly empowering uh, in a number of ways. Um, training, right? so somebody new comes on board, you don't have to worry about documentation. It's going to be out of date they sort of learn everything they need to know by watching other people do it in the chat room live. Uh, when you're in an incident and you want to pull up a graph, it's right there in chat. We have commands to to access our metrics and pull up graphs in kind of incredibly powerful and arbitrary ways. So, you know, you're working an incident and somebody's got this idea, hey, I wonder what this stat is, and they pull it up right there in chat. and some, They don't have to tell somebody, hey, I looked at this and it's that. It's just right there in the flow of the conversation. And there's all kinds of things like that. It just makes it easy for us to collaborate. I think we take collaboration in ops as seriously as GitHub takes development collaboration.
1: Interesting.
0: Interesting.
2: Now-
1: yeah, that's really fascinating and certainly a, a unique approach that I haven't heard before. I'm sure others have, but I've never heard of that before. And, and I completely agree, especially when it comes to, like, you always hear, hear a lot of times about, how do you build up skills, especially in the IT industry and in operations specifically? Because it goes back to what you were saying earlier, that, that idea of a lot of people don't want to change anything in operations because you might break it. But at the same time, how do you move forward and how do you even move your career forward and learn so that you can even take the place of somebody who's been there 10 years? Um, so how that, do you, how That do you- addresses it.
0: Yeah, how do you like? I, I, I I'm not trying to be a naysayer, but I'm you know I'm like, trying to wrap my head around some of this stuff, especially some of the network stuff. How do you? I mean, so like for example, if somebody said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go push some code to some servers," like that sort of stuff sometimes can get hidden behind load balancers and and things will like. But when you're touching the network, and what's the process? I mean, does it? Do you have anything where it's like, look, there's got to be a couple of us on to sort of make sure we've thought through this? Or when you're when you're doing that kind of stuff and you're going to make a change that in theory could have a big impact, and and not try and be like you said, not try and be thinking negative and risk. What's yep. the What's the thought process for something like that?
2: Yeah. So the reality is that the kinds of tasks that we do from chat ops are things that are scripted, right? So it's okay. Um, we want to take down this transit. We want to leave these other ones up. There's Why couldn't you just script that? Why would you want someone to log in a router to make that change, right? Because they're going to make they're gonna make a mistake one time out of ten, no okay, matter so how good or how experienced they are. So, so it's really
0: a standard operation. And, and I mean, to a certain extent, you're sort of taking out the crap, it's two in the morning, I might screw something up or anything, any sort of variability.
2: No, exactly. It was fantastic, actually. When I was going to New York to do that chat ops talk at Velocity last year, literally I was at the airport the morning before Velocity. We were waiting to fly to New York and we got attacked, we had a DDoS attack. Um, And I was on call uh, as the incident commander, so I was sort of the escalation. I I pulled my laptop out of my bag, tethered it to my phone, logged into chat, um, typed us literally one command, and routed us over to our DDoS mitigation partner from chat. With 90 seconds later, the the attack went away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty amazing. That's nuts,
0: that's cool, that's very cool. Um, Then they're not
2: always that easy, but it's great when it works.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, I mean, is that something like, you know, a lot of times, you know, we'll hear, you know, the Facebooks or the Twitters or some people of the world who are dealing with large scale stuff. And and over time, like they'll open source certain things or they'll release that kind of stuff because some people will look at it as a competitive kind of thing. But other times they'll go, you know, it's it's good. um, Plus, you know, we may get improvements when you when you're using stuff like that or other tools. Do you guys find that you you give it back? Is that part of the culture, or is it is it sort of it depends on what it is? And
2: uh, you know, I think for the most part we we tend to open source things. So Hubot, our bot, is is one hundred percent open source. The scripts that plug into them to do the the GitHub specific operational stuff on the back end obviously is an open source, but it doesn't make sense for it to be sure, um, sure, okay. So yeah, for things that make sense to be open source, uh, we we tend to open source them.
0: Sweet, very cool. So folks, if you're if you're listening. Uh, Check out. I mean, I'm sure you could find it through various the various GitHub repositories. If you looked around, you could find this stuff. Or I'm sure oh, it's in you probably in your
1: Velocity talk. Yeah, just look for Hubot. H U bot. Cool. Cool. And and so let me ask you this. So you hear a lot of times about okay, a lot of things you're doing. I mean, it's really kind of web scale, and 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 that that isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily apply to the enterprise. And and so. What would you say to that that comment do you agree do you disagree and and what kind of big mistakes uh, do you typically hear about uh, you know in that kind con- that context
2: yeah I think that thinking that enterprise has a different problem set than a startup is completely wrong thinking um, especially if the CIO wants to have a job in a couple of years Um You know, I said earlier that every business of any size is a software company. Um, all you have to do is look at some big companies. I was at an event recently where there was somebody from city who said, I think they have something like 30,000 software developers at city. Uh, that's a single large enterprise that has more software developers than all of the startups in Silicon Valley combined. Um, so just think about that for a second and let it sink in and, and then tell me (laughs) that they don't have the same kinds of problems that startups do trying to get code deployed. so the reality is that they have exactly the same problem set. Do they have different constraints? Sure, they do. They have regulatory compliance. They have audit. They have all kinds of issues that we don't have. But but that doesn't make the the sort of DevOps cultural movement invalid. Uh, you know, I can't I can't say that I've ever heard anyone in ops or development at an enterprise say, "Well, you know, I, I sure am glad that I didn't talk to the developers before this project launched and and I'd got to be surprised about it a week in advance and and we didn't have enough hardware to run it or boy, I really w- I'm really, really glad I didn't get involved with those developers early on so we could add monitoring hooks into the software. You, know, you never hear those things. Everybody wants to collaborate. Everybody work, wants to work better together. Yeah. You know, I've never heard people say, well, I'm really glad we have these silos and these developers threw this c- code over the wall and when it has a bug, I have to throw it back over the wall and we can't just talk about it. Uh, you, it just, You just don't hear those things. So, yeah. I, I think that thinking that DevOps doesn't work in the enterprise is completely wrong-headed. The good news is that I think enterprises get it uh, increasingly these days, and especially CIOs who are under extreme pressure to. The reality is deliver applications as quickly as possible. Um, it's a competitive advantage. If your competitors can move faster than you, have, they can deploy applications faster, uh, and you can't, and then you have serious problems.
0: Yeah, I was going to. I was going to ask about that because it. You know, when you get back to sort of your original comment about software eating the world. I mean, if you know, back in the day, if you were a bank, you know, your, your, your branch offices, or your ATM machines were just as much your product. And those are very kind of hardware centric or a checking account. Now it's, you know, automated, uh, trading, it's intelligence for your retirement. It's, you know, security software for, you know, doing checking. And so I mean, it's, you know, if you're, if you're an automotive company, it's as much about the software in your car. So, yeah, I mean, I would think, I would think we'll see that shift starting to change because, what IT is driving is is about software now. It's not so much about like a division or a piece of hardware that that's what people sell. It it, it is about that technology more and more.
2: Um, yeah, it's pretty fascinating too, right? You when you hear that complaint that, that DevOps isn't enterprise ready or it's not applicable to enterprise, all you have to do is point at the the financials, the the Fidelis of the world, the Goldman's of the world. Uh, if if you want to talk about an industry that's regulated to hell and gone that has audit requirements like no other business, uh, just look to those guys and. Without fail, every single one of them has a cloud initiative. Every single one of them is looking at platform as a service. Every single one of them is running OpenStack or looking at it and trying to move quicker because those companies, like I said, I worked at a bank a long time ago, and those companies have so many applications; it's unbelievable. They're developing and deploying applications incredibly quickly, and there's no other way to keep up.
0: Yep. Yep. How much you know? So having having worked at you know for the most part, sort of web companies, uh, you know, the ones that you're talking about that are probably a mix. I mean, you know, Salesforce has a little bit of, a little bit of Oracle in there, and, and some of them are Linux-based. And, like, how, how much do you find just software licensing holds people back from being able to do stuff versus, you know, just using available open-source tools and, and things like that?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think it's, it's fascinating. If you look at the past 10 years and the incredible growth that we've seen in the number of open-source solutions for every available problem these days... You know, databases have gotten much more mature. Fifteen years ago, you used Oracle if you were serious because you didn't have any other options. Now you have a, a million options, all of which are infinitely cheaper because they don't cost anything than Oracle. Um, you, you didn't have you didn't have Puppet and Chef even. You didn't have real configuration management. You had maybe you had CFEngine, but it was very early days and very academic. Uh, Mark Burgess is a genius, but he's from the future, and it takes everybody a while to catch up. Um, <laughs> You didn't have all these infrastructure tools and and all these companies and all these open source startups that are and all these startups that are excuse me open sourcing all their code and and hell you didn't even have Red Hat twenty years ago. Um, you've got an incredible ecosystem that has grown that has sort of enabled companies not to be beholden to to license software so much. Um, and I'm not I'm not an open source zealot by any means. We're we're a very happy Splunk customer for example at GitHub, um, but you know it. I think in almost every category there are open source alternatives that are that are reasonable to use and that that don't have the same sorts of um, restrictions that licensed software has. Yeah,
1: sure, yeah. sure. So let me ask you this then: so for somebody kind of looking to get started, what are some of the tools that you would say? Hey, here's the things you need to go learn. Well, that's a great question. Um, I
2: don't know. It's I think it's interesting. I I learned in such a different era. I feel like I'm out of touch with what new people take. <laughs>
1: sure, um,
2: I, I think it's amazing. All the, I would say, learn to be a developer first. Honestly, um, learn how to use APIs, learn how to use AWS, learn how to fit all those components together. Um, you know, learn what an elastic load balancer is and what load balancing concepts are and how they work and how databases work and you know just. I think it's just a matter of poking at things. I I get this question a lot, and I still don't have a satisfactory answer about how you learn to become an operations person, other than just sort of living through it and having lots and lots of battle scars.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it makes sense. It's it's sort of, and it's the same thing. I mean, Aaron, you, you you know, you you came from a bunch of them. I came from a bunch of different ones, and it was it was just kind of throw yourself into something, spend the weekend trying to learn it, and and you know, and hopefully you. Get involved with it in a real environment, so you can sort of learn the difference between you know what the, what a book says or a tutorial says and, and what really happens when software scales or the network has to scale or stuff starts blowing up. And uh, no, I think I think Mark's right. I it's I, I think the hardest thing Mark for the, that a lot of people have if they're not developers is you know they sort of listen to your list and they go you know when when you go well learn to become a developer it's like okay well where do I start like do I start with a language is it you know is there a place that you know people should sort of typically type to start. I think that's always the hardest part for people is just figuring out where do you jump in?
2: Yeah, it's, that's, I I agree with you. I think, again, it's, it's really hard for me to have perspective about why anybody wouldn't want to be a software developer these days. Um, it's computers are such a part of our life. And if you can't write code to make them do things for you, you're at a serious, you're not, you're not just not making use of the capability that's sitting right there in front of you. You're wasting half of the computer at least. Um, so, where do you get started these days? I think there's lots of really good. Um, there's lots of really good online resources. There's things like Khan Academy. There's things like Code School. If you're serious about becoming a professional developer, there's tons of books and tutorials and blogs and and communities online. Uh, I, I think there's never been a better time in the history of the world to to learn how to become a developer. And uh, the other side of it, I would say, is if you if you you start going down this path and you're learning how to use AWS and these APIs and developers and it, you're not getting excited about it and it's a slog, then maybe you should take a step back and think about what it means that you're going to be doing this all day every day for the next thirty years of your life. Maybe it's you know if you're not excited <laughs> about it, maybe you should try to find something else to do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let me ask you one last one and then we'll we'll sort of wrap it up, because um, this has been this has been really good. So we've been talking about developers, you're obviously, you know, GitHub's sort of helping it and, and you've been involved with PaaS, I've heard you say on various like maybe I'll build my own. I mean what's your what's your take on the on the PaaS market, sort of the maturity of it or what how it's evolved? What's you know what what do you guys sort of look at for maybe internal use or what what do you hear from people that are they're doing stuff with various passes whether it's heroku or cloud foundry or OpenShift or or whatever
2: yeah i'm really excited about PaaS still i think um i think we're still pretty early in the adoption cycle there i would say you know if we're doing the baseball metaphor that everyone loves we're still probably in the first or second inning so yeah. we're still super super early um I think despite the fact that we have a million and a half, actually, I don't even know how many millions. They've so probably got two or three or four million apps on Heroku at this point, who knows. Um, despite that fact, we're still super early, especially in terms of getting um, what I guess would say serious applications or enterprises to use it. Um, Cloud Foundry is, is doing a heck of a job, though. Um, James Waters and those guys, I know James very well, uh, those guys are killing it. and and. They have been very persistent and built a, a really solid product and are making serious inroads into the enterprise and convincing people and making believers. And I'm, I'm definitely a believer in PaaS. Uh, the OpenShift guys at Red Hat are, I think they're a little bit behind the the Cloud Foundry guys. They got a little bit of a later start, but uh, they have some good ideas and some smart people. So I'm, I'm convinced they're going to do well as well. I, I, I feel like enterprises that aren't looking at platform as a service or some sort of uh deployment automation in that way, some really serious deployment automation, that's not just put my code on the server and and make it run, um, are going to be the operations teams there in fact, are going to be at a serious disadvantage. Um, If you think about it and you think about an infrastructure team or an operations team and they have a platform as a service, their job is no longer uh, to make every application run and to know everything there is to know about every application. Their job is to make the platform run and to understand how the platform components fit together and how to operate that very complex distributed system that is the platform. But they don't have to learn how all the apps work, and they can democratize that, and the developers can be more involved in the production operations of their apps because you know, it's, for them it's an API call to get their app running, and, and they have the domain knowledge they need to do that. Uh, so I think PaaS is... It's going to be a slam dunk. I think the enterprises are going to adopt it like crazy as the products continue to mature and and check all the boxes they need in terms of compliance and and regulation and audit. Um, so I'm super excited about Pasto. Cool.
0: Very very cool. Very and good. you think you think both sort of public and private, or you, you think?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I think the jury is still out on public right now. Honestly, um, beyond uh, despite, like I said, despite the fact that Heroku has so many apps, there's not. There's not as many of them that are significant business applications, right? I think there's a lot of applications on Heroku that are things like, uh, there's startups, there's a lot of really successful startups that run on Heroku, um, and significant ones. There's lots of um, kind of marketing applications, I would say, from bigger companies where you know some company... Uh, has a marketing campaign and they hire a marketing firm or a developer to build an application. A super, Bowl. we we hosted some Super Bowl ads a couple of years ago when I was at Heroku, for example. That's a great use for Heroku today, but they haven't had as much traction in the enterprise yet. Um, and I don't know if that's, uh, you know, I don't know if that's just a reaction to it being public. I don't know. I don't know what the the barriers there are. I think there's a lot of barriers. Gotcha. gotcha. I think on prem has makes a ton of sense though. And I think actually, I think, I think cloud-based PaaS on a public cloud like amazon makes a lot of sense but perhaps in your own vpc running cloud foundry and not using a completely public PaaS. i think you get just as many benefits running yourself
0: interesting interesting hmm. well good well listen uh it's it's this has been good it's you know it's getting a little bit late we always want to be respectful of people's time and, and folks who have busy lives and jobs and family and uh Thank you very much for coming on tonight. It's been uh, it's been good. It's uh, folks, if if you you know want to learn about how this stuff really works, how the sausage is made, if you will, for a lot of the big internet, go go check out Mark's stuff. Whether it's on YouTube or SlideShare, we'll put some stuff in the in the show notes. Um, you know, lots of real expertise for for figuring out how this stuff works. And uh, we appreciate you coming on tonight, man.
2: Oh my pleasure. It's been fun.
0: Um, What's, you know, if people, I mean, you're on, you're on Twitter, we'll have that in the show notes. Where are you going to be in terms of speaking or places you're going to be out in public? Uh,
2: you know, I think the only conference I know I'm going to be at is Velocity in Santa Clara. I'm on the program committee for that conference. It's a fantastic event every year, so people should go. Um, I'll also be at Surge later in the fall on the East Coast. So I think I'll be at both of those events. I'm sure I'll be at some others, but I don't have any speaking stuff lined up right now. I'm kind of glad I don't actually.
0: yeah they're stressful it's a lot of work it's a lot of work for 15 minutes or whatever it is sometimes exactly well cool well listen uh, Aaron you want to take us home
1: yeah absolutely if you like the show please tell a friend and leave us a review on iTunes Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything cloudcast thanks for listening everyone